when I consider all the times I let God down. I am humbled by the grace He has extended. I'm amazed at the mercy I have found. I could never earn His love on my own. I stand redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I stand redeemed before the great I am. When he looks at me, he sees the nail-scarred hand that bought my liberty. I stand redeemed. my best I am unworthy I have nothing precious I can give a broken life is all I have to offer and yet it's a priceless gift to him the bitter mark of sin will never fade away but i can come before him unashamed i stand redeemed by the blood of the lamb i stand redeemed before the great i am when he looks at me he sees the nail-scarred hand that bought my liberty I stand redeemed when he looks at me. He sees the nail-scarred hand that bought my liberty. I stand redeemed. Aren't you glad you're redeemed? Amen. That's good. Amen. Bought back. Well, that's good. Brought back out of sin. Let me get the big clock on today. And I know you, you guys gave us watches the other day, but I haven't had a chance to even look at it yet. I'll get to it here soon. I'm a little intimidated by it, to be honest with you. Well, there it is. Man, you got to love the big clock. Isn't that something? It's amazing. You guys really like the big clock when I'm preaching, right? The bigger, the better, right? <clears throat> yeah. All right. Someone says that's, that's got to be demonic, having a, a, a cell phone that's on an app while you're preaching. Well, we'll make it. All right. It'll be okay. We'll get through it. We've gotten through a few other times, so we'll be all right. All right. Take your Bible. Turn, if you would, to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Again, we're coming to the end of our uh, study in the book of 1 Timothy we're going to begin reading in verse 10. We're going to read through verse 19, and we'll kind of pick up where we left off last week. And I, as I said, we're, we're nearing the end of it, not much longer. I mean, maybe this week, possibly next week at the most, but either way, we're, we're coming to a screeching halt here pretty soon. And again, it's been a, an amazing book, and <clears throat> I've enjoyed it, and uh, you know, I've just had a good time with that. I trust you have too, but take your Bible, as we said, 1 Timothy chapter 6. 
And let's go ahead and begin reading now in verse 10. Verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable unto the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall shew who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. When we ended last time, Paul had encouraged Timothy. He'd encouraged him by assuring him that no matter how difficult, no matter how overwhelming the people became, no matter how big the problems were, no matter how difficult propagating the gospel may have been, one cannot take his or her eyes off of Christ. And he basically went on to say that he is in control and Jesus is coming back. And boy, I'll tell you what, Timothy, being a young man in that ministry, was certainly enduring and, in, and dealing with a number of issues. And so we, we have reason to believe that because of the way the book is written and some of the topics that are addressed, that possibly Timothy struggled in some areas of his life, maybe, and not so, much his, his, not so much his purity or sanctity, that kind of thing, but that he struggled maybe physically a little bit, that he was having a little bit of difficulty dealing with some of the problems and the nuances of the ministry and maybe even some of the situations that he was facing. And as a result of that, Paul addresses a number of issues Throughout, And we'll see even as we come to the conclusion of the book of Timothy, he addresses a few things in verse 20 and 21 again and kind of reiterates them and try to reinforce those things as he concludes. Now here again, as we take off, we, we realize that where we came from was that Paul had went to the heavenlies and he had truly took us soaring high saying, listen, Jesus Christ is coming back. And um, boy, I'll tell you what, he continues now with a description of the Lord. And he says in verse 16, he simply says, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light, which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen, nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Again, he's elevating Christ. He's lifting up the Lord and he's trying to help Timothy, this young man in the ministry, realize where the real source of strength and the real source of power, the real source of, of, of ingenuity and ideas and opportunity come from, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Aren't we guilty so often of trying to accomplish so much in ourselves, trying to do things in our own ability, by our own strength and in our own wisdom? And the reality is, is that 
We are indwelt. We are, are literally the, we are the, the, the house of Jesus Christ. He lives in us. And so often that untapped source of power goes uh, unused. And it's unbelievable to think of the potential that we truly have if we would utilize the power source that God has given us. And that's the person of Jesus in the person of the Holy Ghost. And so we have the Holy Spirit of God living in us. God, the Spirit, living in us. And he's saying, now listen, Timothy, yes, you have God with you there. Yes, you have every opportunity to succeed because you have my word and you have my son living in you. But here's the thing. You, you better realize and never forget, no matter how dark the days may be, no matter how difficult the times may come, he's coming back for you. Not only is he living in you, but he's coming back for you. Boy, I'll tell you what, that's an encouragement. And so he goes on to say now, who only hath immortality talking about Christ. And that word immortality means, uh, literally means deathlessness. Deathlessness. And you say, well, what's that mean? Well, that means you never die. Deathlessness. Uh, That's pretty good, isn't it? This Jesus that we serve, this Jesus who we love, this Jesus who indwells us, he hath immortality, who only hath immortality, deathlessness. It's also used, that same word used to describe the immortality of that glorified body that you and I will one day possess. Take your Bible, look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look at verse 53 and 54 there. <clears throat> Again, you're going to have a body and so am I. And that body will be literally a body that is immortal. It will have deathlessness. <laughs> deathlessness. Notice what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 53 and 54. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Now notice again, so when this corruptible shall put on incorruptible and this mortal shall put on immortality. There's that word again, deathlessness. Now, Jesus Christ conquered death. He conquered death for himself. Of course, he went into the grave and three days and three nights later, he resurrected. He rose again. But he didn't just die and raise again for himself. He rose again for you and I. He did that for us. And uh, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, we read that Jesus again, a revelation of Jesus Christ, he says, I am he that liveth and was dead. <clears throat> and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. Now, <clears throat> it's true that unless the rapture occurs, in, in the, you know, uh, we're going to surely die as believers. So if, if the rapture doesn't occur, occur, if Jesus Christ does not come in the clouds and resurrect us or rapture us out, really, we're, we're going to have to die. Uh, physical death, that is. Not spiritual, but physical. <clears throat> but thanks to the Lord, death is swallowed up in victory. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 55, he even goes on to say a little bit further there. He says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Man, death doesn't have a hold on you and I. It doesn't get victory over you and I. Aren't you glad that we are going to be able to overcome death? 
I mean, we're not going to lay dormant in a grave. We're not going to be in uh, lifelessness or nothingness. We're not just in, the, you know, in darkness when we die. No, we are literally going to be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to raise again one day when He returns. Our bodies are coming up out of those graves. We're going to have a new body. That's a wonderful truth. <clears throat> and that body that we're going to have is going to be like unto His glorious body. Look, if you would, over in the book of Philippians chapter 3, verse 21. Philippians chapter 3, verse 21. People say, well, what's it going to be like in heaven? Well, I don't know exactly what it's going to be like in heaven, but I know the kind of body I'm going to have. It's hard to imagine, but I know it's going to be hard to, for you to imagine this, but it will be even a step up from this. <clears throat> it's be, I know that's tough to imagine, yes. If some of you have seen me working over there in the new building, you would know that it's an amazing body that I have here. <clears throat> yes. <laughs> so... <clears throat> Notice what it says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 21. Who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So notice again, it'll be fashioned like unto his glorious body. So you say, well, what's your body going to be like one day in heaven? What's it going to be like? It's going to be like his body. Which one? His glorified body. The one he resurrected with. Well, what about that body? What are some of the characteristics, some of the qualities of that body? I mean, uh, as soon as he resurrected, he began to display those amazing abilities. Uh, and, and some of them were like, he could pass through walls. Hey, he could pass through walls. I mean, he shows up in the upper room. There he is. I mean, he, eat a meal, he, he ate a meal. He could eat a meal. I mean, so he'll be able to eat, physically eat. I like that. I'm, I'm going to start tonight, and I'm going to keep eating through till Sunday. It's going to be an endless smorgasbord. <clears throat> Haven't heard that word in a while, have you? Yeah, remember that when they used to call them smorgasbords? Okay, maybe not for a while. Now they call them buffets, all right? <clears throat> anyway, eat a meal. So he could pass through walls. He could eat a meal in Luke chapter 24. It, he could be touched and seen. Remember, you know, you thrust your, your uh, uh, hand in my side and all that. I mean, remember that? I mean, he could be touched and he could be seen. This body of his, it would appear and it could disappear at will. Isn't that something? I, I, I was telling somebody the other day, I think it was uh, our, our, the guy that's been putting our doors in for us. I was telling him how when I was in the military, there was a guy that always disappeared all the time when the work started. His name was Smitty. Actually, it was when the run took place. Smitty always ended up in the restroom. He just disappeared. And you say, where's Smitty? He's in the restroom. You knew that because he didn't want to run. So he'd run to the restroom and he'd stay there all the time. And so anyway, he always had a stomach problem when it came time for uh, calisthenics and running. But anyway, nonetheless, you don't know anybody like that, do you? But so he could appear and disappear at will. And then finally, he, he defied the law of gravity. He just defied the law of gravity. That body defied the law of gravity. Isn't that something? So, I mean, these are just some of the characteristics we'll have. I mean, pass through walls, eat, be touched and seen, appear and disappear at will, defy the law of gravity. I mean, we see him over there in Acts chapter 1, verse 9. He ascends up in a cloud. I mean, he himself can just, or at the speed of however much. I don't even know if it's light. I mean, think about how far away heaven is. I mean, they've got some powerful telescopes how many light years away heaven is. And heaven is a real place. It's not some figment of our imagination. It's not some, 
you know, fourth dimension necessarily. It's a legitimate, real place, and there are doors. Now, it may be a different dimension to some degree. I don't know 100%, but there's a literal doors the Bible talks about in which we enter and come from. And so I, I, uh, it's amazing how far it is. And yet Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again, and he took some blood. He, put it, he took this blood, he put it on the mercy seat. I believe he did that, okay? Yeah. I believe it's there on display in heaven today. I believe it's there to wash, you know, to, to, to reassure us that our sin is washed away and it made final payment once and for all. But nonetheless, we have this wonderful body that we'll have. And uh, the Lord, he's been seated in heaven for what? 2,000, a little over 2,000 years now. In that glorified body, he's been seated at the right hand of the Father for almost 2,000 years. Um. <clears throat> some people say, well, every time someone dies, he's seen standing because we see that example of Stephen in chapter 7 of the book of Acts. But I don't believe that. I believe that he stood for Stephen because there was some more at stake there. I mean, he was ready to step down. It wasn't that he was welcoming Stephen up. He was ready to step down and take his rightful place on the throne, but the Jew rejected him. Three strikes and you're out. And so the Lord Jesus Christ took a seat again and said, okay, well, now it's the times of the Gentiles. We'll move on forward. And so, so he's been seated now for 2,000 years there. And you know, what's he been doing in heaven? Well, first of all, you know he doesn't grow old. And, and he's, he's ruling the galaxies. I mean, he is, he's watching events, I believe, taking place on earth. He's very aware of what's taking place every single day. He outshines the sun. He lives on and on. I mean, he is uh, doing real well there. His body is tireless. It's deathless. His body is ageless. You know, that's the kind of body you and I will have one day. That's going to be a great body, isn't it? And, t- and the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, now cheer up, Timothy. I know things can get difficult, and I know there's apostasy about I know there's wolves inside the church, even though you've got the, 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 you know, Nero, and you've got all of the persecution taking place on the outside. You've got all the troubles on the inside. But cheer up, we've got a Jesus that's bigger than our problems, and he's going to come back for you. Paul goes on to describe the Lord as dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto. Dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto. You know, Paul, as he's writing this, you've got to believe that he's going back to some firsthand observation and experience here. I mean, think about him. I mean, when he first met Christ, it was on the road to Damascus, uh, Damascus and he was seeking to deliver a, a devastating blow to the church, you know? I mean, he was going there to serve up papers. He was going there to, to persecute believers. He was going there to potentially kill those who named the name of Christ. And all at once, the Bible tells us that he is engulfed in a blinding light, surrounded with this amazing light, this light that knocks everybody down to the ground, this light of which nobody can possibly see. They can't look at it. They can't Look, they can't, they can't even look at it. The Apostle Paul himself, we know, is blind after this event. And out of that light comes a voice, the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. While he's describing this event to King Agrippa, he says over there in the book of Acts, chapter 26, verse 13, he says, At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun, shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. 
I mean, brighter than the sun. Someone says, well, I mean, obviously it might be brighter than the sun because it was closer. Well, either way, Paul saw it so brightly. He could, it just, boom. And I mean, it, he, he was blinded. He couldn't even see. And so this was the Lord Jesus Christ revealing himself to the apostle Paul. And you know, that is the light with which Christ surrounds himself in glory today. If you could go see the Lord today, you'd see a bright light. You know, the Bible says in New Jerusalem there'll be no need of light because the Lamb is the light. I mean, the doors will never be shut. The gates will never be locked. There'll never be any night there. Why? Because He dwells there. He is there. The God that you and I serve today is infinitely above us. I mean, to try to think about Him is... It's important that we do so. It's important that we dwell on Him. It's important that we focus on Him. But let's be honest. There's no way in the world that our finite mind can comprehend or conceive God. I mean, we may try to put Him in a little box and make Him fit our personal vision of who and what He is. But the reality is He's much higher than you and I. That We can't even... Not even much higher. He is so beyond us. We, we can't even comprehend Him. We're incapable of, in, of comprehending His greatness, let alone attaining to it. And He's worthy of all honor, and He's capable of exercising unlimited power, the Apostle tells Timothy. And so with such an awesome Lord, Timothy, Timothy didn't have to be intimidated by the world. And he didn't have to be intimidated by the people in his church. And he didn't have to be intimidated by the unknown and what was ahead that he did not know. He had a big God, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we get nervous. We talk about, you know, we're going to maybe go from middle school to the high school. And that's a scary thing. I remember when I was getting ready to go to to high school. Now, in our day, we, we were in the ninth grade, and the ninth grade then went to the senior high. So you went from the grade school one through six, then you went seven through nine, then you went 10 through 12. I just remember moving on from sixth grade to the junior high thinking, oh man, this is going to be, oh wow. And then then when I got there after a year or so, I felt pretty good. And by the time you got to ninth grade, you're, you know, BMOC, big man on campus, you know, and nobody can pick on you. You pick on all the little snotty nosed seventh graders. Any seventh graders here? I'm glad because we'd kick you out. <laughs> Seventh graders don't deserve to live. <laughs> Seventh grader babies wash their face in gravy. <clears throat> Remember how it used to be you could actually say those things without people freaking out? Oh, they hurt the self-esteem of my child. Oh, you wrecked and ruined him. Oh, you're bullying him. Oh, whatever. Okay, so anyway. So anyway, then I got to ninth grade and I had to move to senior high. And then I really got scared. Because, you know, you hear about, you know, you look at those guys. I mean, let's face it. I mean, they're growing beards and mustaches, you know. You know, and if you're lucky, you just got a little hair sticking out the bottom of your chin. And maybe one coming off your chest, you know. And it's scary to move up like that. You know, and you're not sure what to expect. And you're afraid you might get beat up and all that good stuff. 
But you know what? I don't care if you're a, seventh, a sixth grader going into seventh or a ninth or eighth grader going into senior high. doesn't matter if you just started a new job or possibly you're beginning a new ministry or maybe a new marriage or whatever it might be. Let me tell you something. We've got a God bigger than all that mess. We've got Jesus Christ on our side. And if God could have Paul, the apostle, send Timothy to a place where he'd never, to, uh, never served as pastor and say, listen, there's going to be a number of obstacles. There's going to be so many difficulties. There's going to be things you have to address and deal with. But listen, you have Jesus Christ with you today. Amen. You do not have to be concerned. You can overcome and be victorious. Basically, what he's saying to him is this. You're on the winning side, Timothy. You know, we all are. We're on the winning side. So anytime Paul takes us to the heavenlies, and, and that's basically what he's doing here. He's taking us right up to heaven itself. He's allowing us to just sink our teeth a little bit into the eternal things. It seems that he always brings us back to earth with a bump. And he does that by returning to the discussion that kicked off this short rabbit trail. And that discussion was basically rich men and their gold. So he ends up right back there again. Look if you want 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. He goes, Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. One of the great snares, one of the great traps of wealth is that it gives people a false sense of security and power. It, 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 it's, it's a false sense, though. Yeah. You know, you have that money. And there's no doubt that um, money can buy most things. Let's just be honest. It can buy most things. It, it, it shields people often from problems. It can provide creature comforts in this life. If you would look at most poor people, poor people have a greater tendency to trust in the Lord, to, to turn to God. Amen. Yes. I mean, isn't that why, you know, sometimes, you know, if you get a soul winning route, you're almost kind of excited if you get to go to a poor neighborhood because you think, wow, I'm going to get to lead somebody to the Lord today, boy. But if you end up somewhere in Uniontown over here where they just put a new housing allotment, if you're, if you're, you're not careful. You kind of go, eh, oh. some of these people, man, they're going to be professional, they're going to be rich, they're going to have money, they're not going to want to hear what I have to say. Uh, that's not necessarily the case at all, but there is a tendency to that. There's some truth to that, isn't there? I mean, if you take 10 people that are poor and you take 10 people that are rich, do you think there'll be more people that are poor listen to you than rich or more rich than poor? And probably the reality is, is that more people that are poor would listen to you than the rich ones. That's just a reality of life. Why is that? Well, because, again, the tendency that money gives, it draws men to or points people to is a false sense of security and power. In Proverbs chapter 23, verse 4 and 5, turn there if you would, please. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 4 and 5. The truth is that money has a way of disappearing, though. Now, every one of us know that reality. I don't care if you make a lot or you make a little. Money just disappears at times. It's just gone. It can be here and gone. 
Notice what the Bible says in Proverbs 23, 4, and 5. And again, I, I'm not preaching against money, folks. I, I, make as much as you can because the more money you make, the more you can give to God's work. Amen. That's a good thing we're going to see. That's exactly what we're supposed to do with our money, Amen. to be involved in the things that to help people. But notice what it says here. It says, labor not to be rich. Now, that's big right there. Labor not to be rich. Cease from thine own wisdom. So wait a second. The, in, the, the implication is, if I'm laboring to be rich, then I am actually following a path of my own wisdom. I've somehow concluded in my own mind that that is the means by which I can obtain success, power, prestige, comfort. He says, cease from thine own wisdom. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? Wow, that's pretty interesting, isn't it? Are you really going to set your eyes on? You're really going to set your goal? You're really going to look towards something that doesn't even really exist? See, when, the, the labor, when you labor to be rich, you can never really be safe. You're really not secure. You're really not stable like you may think yourself to be. It doesn't really exist. Why is that? Because he goes on to say, for riches certainly make themselves wings. Now, we've all seen uh, winged creatures. What do they do? They fly. Well, guess what he says? Your money's got wings on it. So what's that mean? Well, he goes on to tell you and explain it. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. Now, have you, have you, ever, have you ever watched eagles fly? Eagles are amazing flyers, aren't they? Now, they get higher than almost, I think they get higher than any other, any other fowl, if I'm not mistaken, or any other, I don't know, are, they lay eggs, so they're, they're, they're not mammals, right? But boy, I, they sure seem like they should be mammals. They're amazing creatures, but, but they fly so high. Now, your money, my money, if we labored not, you know, our, our finances, our riches make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. See, all it takes is one bad investment. All it takes is a disastrous crash on, the wall, on Wall Street. I mean, all it takes is a thief to break in and steal. And it's gone just like that. Everything you worked for, everything you dreamed about, everything you put your, your life, invested your life in could be gone tomorrow or today. Now again, God, we know that the Lord is not opposed to to, to, being, to having money. I mean, that's not the issue because he, we're going to see in just a moment that he's going to encourage some things of us if we are indeed rich. Now, money also tends to foster a materialistic outlook on life. Again, we've kind of touched on it already, but that idea that things will satisfy, things will fill the void, that, that only God can. That's, that's probably even a greater, greater uh, um, problem with money than even just the idea that it has a false sense of security and power, but that somehow materialism will satisfy. That's, a, that's even a bigger problem, a bigger issue. The fact is, is that the person who has plenty of money is in danger of leaving God out of his thoughts. I want you to consider the young ruler in Luke chapter 18. Turn, if you would, there. Luke chapter 18, verse 18. There is no 
honor in being poor when you could have money. It, I'm going to be poor so that I can be godly. That's stupid. That doesn't even make sense. I'm, I'm just going to be poor because if you're poor, you're more godly. What? How's that make you... Wait a second. If that's your game plan for your life, then guess whose game plan you're following? Your own. You're not godly. You've already given up. You've already decided this is what I'm going to do with my life. What's God want for your life? What does He want? What if God wanted you to make a million dollars or if you wanted to make 10 million? What if He wanted to be... What if He wants you to be... I mean... So, wait a second. How are you going to be poor? Are you just going to not work hard? Wait a second. How can you not work hard? Biblically, whatsoever thy hand finds to do, do it with thy might. Well, you're not going to try hard? Well, whatsoever thy hand finds to do, do it with thy might. How are you going to stay? It doesn't make sense. I'm going to work at McDonald's, and I want minimum wage, and please don't raise it to $15 because I don't want to get rich. <laughs> okay. I, I don't get that, okay? I, you know, I... Whatever. I'm not going to get into whether or not it should be $15 an hour, but I certainly don't like paying $4 for a cheeseburger. But anyway, <clears throat> consider this rich young ruler, Luke 18, verse 18. He goes on to say, And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? I understand this in the Old Testament. I, I get that. But let's keep reading and just see this, this idea, this philosophy of money that Jesus possesses. And Jesus said unto him, what callest the, Why callest thou me good? None is good save one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. And he said, All these have I kept from my youth up. You ever met somebody that thinks that they've kept the law? Yeah, I run into them every once in a while. Can never do anything wrong. That's a rough one, isn't it? And listen, that doesn't, res- that doesn't show itself like this. It doesn't show itself like this. I don't sin. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you confront somebody about an issue, they're never wrong. Everything, they're always right about everything. Or they always have an excuse why they did it this way or why they did it this way or why they did it this way. They're never willing just to go, okay, yeah, I, I messed up. Do you have any people like that? Don't they just drive you crazy? Doesn't drive you nuts, but it drives me crazy. I don't, I don't know. Drives me totally crazy. So anyway, notice what he goes here on to say here. He goes, and he said, all these things have I kept from my youth up. Yeah, I'm sure you have. Now, he goes, now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, yet lackest thou one thing. Now, this must have been a pretty outstanding young man. This had to be, I mean, a pretty outstanding fellow. Because he goes, yet lackest thou one thing. Sell all that thou hast and distribute unto the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Wow. Now, this guy's got money, okay? He's got the creature comforts. And the Lord just says to him, okay, you're doing this, 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 and this. But the only problem is, what about everybody else? Sell all you have and give it to the poor. And then you're going to have riches in heaven. You have riches that will endure, not in this lifetime, but forever in eternity. And then follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. I think the Lord put that in there on purpose. 
And when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a, a needle's eye than for the rich man, a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Boy, I'll tell you what, it's so hard to shake materialistic mentality, materialistic mentality. And you know what, you don't have, I think it's important for us to understand something tonight. And, and, I, and I say this with all seriousness. There's not one person in this room that's not rich compared to the rest of the world. I mean, how many of you took that trip, and I know there's a lot of people gone, but how many of you went to Mexico or have gone to some third world country? How many of you have done that? Okay, are you rich compared to them? And we went around all the time, poor mouthing it constantly, talking about how we have no money, how we can't, we, oh, for woe is me. You are so rich and so am I. It's amazing. Think of the, 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 the what's that called, uh, expendable money? What's it, what do they say teenagers have? What's it called? Disposable money, that's right. Think of the, all the disposable money. Think about how much money will be spent at Christmas time. Think about the, the hundreds and thousands of dollars that we'll spend at Christmas time. And we'll talk about being broke. I mean, really. I mean, is it ridiculous or what? There probably won't be one family here that won't have at least one present on the tree. Do you know it wasn't 50, 75 years ago that people were just glad to get a piece of fruit? In this country, 75 years ago, you got a piece of fruit, you were happy. Children were excited about that. And now unless they have the latest, the latest uh, whatever you call those, Game Boys, or I uh, know, not Game Boys, those are a long time ago. What's that, PS4s? Unless you got a PS4, unless you got this brand new this and brand new that. Oh, man, I got ripped off this year. Who taught him all that? I'm just saying, we are rich. So we too can fall into this, this trap, this mental trap, this materialistic trap. We think of the, the rich fool of Luke counting his money and he got a sentence of death immediately. We think of the rich man in Luke chapter 16 where suddenly he died, he woke up in hell. Boy, listen, we have got to be so careful that we do not allow ourselves to fall prey to that mentality. Every once in a while, though, as we close, from time to time, a rich person, a rich man or woman, remains untouched by their riches. That's a wonderful thing. They remain untouched because they choose not to trust in them. They make a choice. We have to make choices not to trust in our riches. Think about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, who lived above their wealth. Think about Job, who lost all his wealth, but he, but he was strengthened as a result. So Paul instructs Timothy, and he says to the rich, Trust in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. And so when we get back together, we'll start there and end the book next week. But let's realize that we have a Lord that's coming back. I don't know what you're going through, but I know He does. Boy, I'll tell you what, He is there for us. Let's be encouraged to know, no matter how dark the days may seem, we have a God of light who is there to shine 
his brightness on us. Father, we love you. We thank you for all you mean to us, all you do for us. Bless us now this evening. Be glorified in everything that we do now. Father, as we go even this evening, I don't know what you have for us tonight. Maybe you spoke to somebody about something. Maybe there's somebody here that's lost even without you. Lord, they need you if they don't have you as Savior and Lord. And Lord, maybe there's just a believer that just needs to come and thank you, Father, as they face this Thanksgiving season. And maybe there's someone going through a very difficult time in their life. And Father, it's easy to lose sight of you, the Redeemer, and you, the Returner, the one who's going to come. And Father, just take us from this place and give us that new body. Lord, thank you for that wonderful hope that we have. Lord, I just pray, dear God, that once again you'd bless us tonight. Be glorified in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed as the music plays. Again, God's not opposed to nice things, good things, plenty of things. He just doesn't want anything to be placed over and above Him, that's all. He doesn't want our mind to be consumed with other things or people than Him. He, he doesn't mind us thinking about other things. He just doesn't want us to be consumed with them. He wants us to truly be focused on Him, to Him to be preeminent, to the priority, our passion, 